Father, we thank you for your wonderful love. Father, we pray that this evening you might encourage us by that love, that this week we might uh, serve you and love you and live for you more and more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I wonder if your life feels like fullness. Fullness is the goal of our passage today. You can see that in verse 19. Paul prays that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Whatever fullness is, whatever the fullness of God is, I suspect for many of us, we often feel like, often, that we don't quite have it. In fact, instead of fullness, I think often we feel weak. We think of some behaviour or desire that we just can't shake and we feel weak. We think of where we'll be tomorrow morning and how we'd like to speak for Jesus more or love and care for others more. But instead we know that it's going to be a week of failure because we're weak. For me, I long to be a better prayer. But each morning I find myself, having often been woken up too early, trying to read my Bible and way too often, my mind is distracted, my heart is joyless, I just feel weak. Perhaps you're not a Christian here this evening, and you can relate to this longing for fullness, for something more. I think it's something everyone can relate to, wanting to be stronger, but knowing It's hard. Our passage this evening comes right in the middle of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And it's right before a couple of chapters of instruction. So far Paul has described God's wonderful plan. And we see it in chapter 1 verse 10. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head. That is Christ. He's described how these non-Jewish Christians had been chosen and adopted and made alive with Christ. He's described how they've been united with the Jewish believers into one people, one people being built into the living temple of the Lord. And it's a wonderful plan. It's a mystery we can look in on and that should make us excited. Yeah, you know, sometimes I'm just weak. And I think Paul understood this. Our passage begins for this reason. And if you look back to the beginning of chapter 3, verse 1, the same phrase is there. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And then he breaks off his thought. Because he knows that his being in prison is discouraging. It looks weak. And so he pauses to encourage them, and now he prays for them. Now, if we hadn't read this passage, I wonder what we might expect him to suggest is the way to fullness. Maybe it's just a kind of about determination. Get on and do it. Live Christianly. Plow on through the hard times. 
But I think that's a little bit like my New Year's resolution to go to the gym. That generally gets me there about once. Or maybe it's just about embracing ourselves and who we are. You know, if you look inside yourself and discover who you truly are, then you'll be able to live a full life. Maybe it's easier to blame others, or even to blame church. You know, in London, there's always a slightly slicker, slightly bigger church down the road you could go to. Maybe that's the problem. Or maybe there's just no point. We're weak, why bother trying? Let's just all go home and go to bed. But Paul knows that there is one way to fullness, and that is only through God. And so, verse 14, For this reason I kneel before the Father. In those days, the normal stance for prayer was actually to stand. And so for him to kneel, it's demonstrating something. It's demonstrating a kind of earnestness, a humility. And I take it that as we look at this passage, Paul would want to encourage us to do the same. To earnestly pray along, even perhaps on our knees. Paul prays for two things. They're on the uh, green pieces of paper in your service sheets. He prays for strength, or power for strength, and power to know. So first, power for strength. Follow with me, if you would, as I read from verse 16 in Ephesians 3. I pray that out of his glorious riches... He may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The two parts here are actually the same thing. Strengthening by the spirit or through the spirit in your inner being is Christ dwelling in your hearts through faith. And so that is kind of a bit misleading. But the idea is that we are strengthened as Christ takes up residence in our hearts. Note first, though, where does this power come from? Well, it comes from his glorious riches there in verse 16. Out of God's glorious riches. A number of times in this prayer, we get these grand, unmeasurable descriptions of God and his gifts. I think Paul's trying to widen our vision. And this phrase, out of his glorious riches, it's, it's more like according to his glorious riches. Imagine you are starting up some worthy cause and it's going to be expensive, so you need some cash. And it's going to be really expensive. So someone puts you in touch with a, a multi-millionaire philanthropist. And you meet up and you, you, know, you have tea and you explain your vision, what your big plan is. You kind of see him nodding along and smiling. And then right at the end, he, he pulls out his checkbook, puts it on the table and says, great, how much do you need? Now, he could have said, great, good idea, here's 20 pounds. And that would have been him giving out of his riches. But for him to give according to his riches, it's this kind of idea of a blank check. How much do you need? That's the idea in this verse, and also in verse 20. It's the image of a God who's both able and willing to give us as much, in fact, even more than we need. 
And it's, it's power that he'll give us. And it's power that Christ would dwell in our hearts. This isn't kind of like a hotel where it's a, you know, a nice holiday, you get looked after, but it's a temporary stay. So ultimately you can't repaint the walls if you don't like the decor. This Christ dwelling in our hearts, the, the word dwell, it's a permanent stay. It's more the idea of you know, giving Jesus the keys, giving him the title, letting him move in, set up the home how he likes. He can refurbish the kitchen, move the furniture, and he can do whatever he likes. It's his home. That's the idea of Christ dwelling permanently in our hearts. Now you might be thinking, this is fine, but don't I already have this? You know, when I became a Christian, God came and made his home in my heart. So why do I need to pray for Christ to be in my heart? And the answer is, yeah, absolutely. That is what happens when you become a Christian. The Spirit comes and dwells in your heart. So is there more Spirit or more Christ dwelling that we can have? And in a way, this passage is saying, yeah, there is. This whole prayer, as we'll see, is a case of, here's something you've got, but there's more to be had. And I wouldn't think of it kind of like Christ with one leg through the front door. He is the king. But I think we know, don't we, that each of us will have things that we're holding on to, that we're not willing to give to him as the king. Maybe I'm pushing this too far. It's a bit like we're squatting in the garage of his home, that we won't give up everything to him. And so Paul's prayers for strengthening. For as the Spirit works in our hearts, bit by bit, those remaining sins, those bits of weakness or cowardice, they're given over to Christ's reign. And as Christ becomes king over more and more of our hearts, then we become stronger in our faith. But the only way this can happen is by God's power. And it really does take power. Human beings, I think, have become more and more powerful, particularly in the 21st century and the 20th century. Albert Einstein is a good example of someone who had a real grip, I think, on power. He said, It is easier to denature plutonium than to denature the evil spirit of man. It takes power, the power of God, to change human hearts. But this is what he has done, and it is what he is doing to all those who trust in Jesus. Perhaps you're sitting here thinking of something, a moment of weakness that you'd long to grow in, or something you haven't submitted quite yet to Christ's reign. Well, can I encourage you to pray for strength? Perhaps this week, every day, on your knees, for this month, this year, to keep on praying, and then knowing that God will give you strength, submit it to him. And bit by bit you will grow, 
and you will be strengthened. For God is a God who gives with an open checkbook. Sometimes I think um, Christian truths are most simply said by children's songs. We have a, a CD in our car at the moment that has a song. It's a Slugs and Bugs, if you know Slugs and Bugs. One song goes like this. I'm very, very capable of anger. Just try and take my candy bar away. I'm very, very capable of selfishness when I only play what I want to play. Usually I'm very sorry later, but eventually it happens again. If this sounds like you and you're so confused, I've got good news, my friend. Just to tell it to Jesus. He already knows. Tell it to Jesus before it grows. We all mess up, it's sad but true, but that's what human beings do. So tell it to Jesus. He loves you. Maybe that helps you, maybe it doesn't. I guess the point is that we're kind of, while we're thinking about weakness, it's not to make us feel guilty or disheartened, but so that we would simply go to Jesus. God doesn't want us feeling guilty. Rather, he wants us to see that he has this wonderful plan for us. A plan that will one day, if we keep on trusting in Jesus, bring us to the measure of all the fullness of God. Not this side of heaven, but that is the trajectory. And so we don't, you know, get ourselves there. What we do is we come in faith, in prayer, to God. We pray for the power to have strength. Secondly, Paul continues his prayer and he now prays for something else. It's still power, but now it's power to know. More specifically, power to know Christ's love. Let's continue reading from where we left off in verse 17. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Now this isn't completely separate from Paul's first prayer point. Rather, as we're strengthened by Christ dwelling in our hearts, the outflow is love. That's why Paul says that they are already rooted and established in love. It's a picture of stability and strength, even. A tree with deep roots can resist the storm, as can a well-established building with firm foundations. Whatever the world throws at us, we're okay because of the love that already roots us, if we're Christians and trusting in God. Primarily, this is God's love for us, but here I, I take it it's also our love for him that then flows out to the love for others as well. That's the love we're rooted in. And so notice again that we've got another yes but more situation going on. They already have it, but Paul prays for more. You know, I look at my heart and this isn't a surprise. Because when I think of my love, again I think of weakness all too often. 
But the problem is, really, I shouldn't just be thinking about myself. Rather, I should be setting my eyes on Christ. Because if I really grasp Christ's love for me, well, then that would change my heart. So this is what Paul prays for. Power that we may grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Notice as well that it's not just merely an intellectual exercise. Rather, verse 19, it's a love that we need to know somehow in a way that surpasses knowledge, surpasses our intellectual capacity. How is that? Well, on one level, it's simply that Christ's love is so big and our brains are so small that we can't just know it intellectually. We can't understand it. We need to feel it and to know it. But I think on another level, I think it goes beyond understanding as there's something organic, something even illogical about Christ's love. In a much smaller way, I think this is true for human relationships as well. I remember when my daughter was born, she's now 10 months old, but particularly in those early days, you know, I felt my love growing and growing from kind of at the beginning where, well, frankly, I was just exhausted and didn't quite know how I felt, but the love grew. But it was a mystery to me why. You know, if I tried to write down why I loved her, I'm not sure I'd get very far. You know, I'd write down she's really cute, but... Frankly, there are loads of cute babies, and I don't love most of them. I really only love one. She, she didn't give me anything. She didn't even smile at me at first. But I still loved her. And really, it's a feeble comparison, because Christ's love is so much bigger, and yet, in a way, it's so much less logical. We can't even begin to comprehend the reasons for Christ's love. Why would Christ love us, weak sinners as we are, with nothing to offer him back? Why would he come and die for us? At the end of the service, we're singing one of, uh, possibly one of my favorite hymns, And Can It Be? It's great as it beautifully articulates the mystery of these questions. In the first verse, died he for me, who caused his pain, for me, who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Or in the second verse, tis mystery all, the immortal dies. Who can explore this strange design? In vain the firstborn seraph tries to sound the depths of love divine. It is a mystery. It is strange. The amazing love of Christ, love that surpasses knowledge. We can't intellectually sound the depths of love divine. It is only by God's power. We must pray that we would get it, that we would grasp Christ's love, and that it would transform our hearts, that it would strengthen us as our roots go deeper and deeper in love. 
What is it about Christ's love that we're to grasp? Is it its dimensions? Should we try and somehow put into words how wide Christ's love is? Well, no, of course not. As we contemplate how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, the point is it's immeasurable. Different people have different thoughts on kind of why these dimension words are here. I think it's, it's just the vastness that's in picture. But at the same time, I think that ideas are quite helpful. You know, some have thought of the, the width of Christ's love as referring to a love that spans from eternity to eternity. Sorry, that was the, uh, the width of Christ's love is, is a love that's available for all humanity. The length of Christ's love from eternity to eternity. The depth that it's a love that reaches down to even the most vile sinner. And the heights that Christ's love exalts him all the way to heaven. What vast love. Perhaps Paul even had in his mind's eye the image of Jesus on the cross. The upright piece of the cross spanning the gap between heaven and earth. And the cross piece holding his hands wide open in welcoming acceptance. Oh, what wonderful love. That Christ, God himself, became a man to die. Oh, that we might grasp this love. We'll never, not even in eternity, completely grasp how great Christ's love is for us. But as we pray for power to grasp it, together with other Christians, as we think on it, we will grow. And grow towards the fullness of life that God has planned for us. Well, I wonder how you're feeling about your weaknesses now. I hope not so bad. Because actually, as we dwell on the love of Christ, it should strengthen us. For we remember that actually... Our weaknesses don't matter, as Christ loves us. On our best day or our worst day, there is nothing we can do to make Christ love us less. Nor is there anything we can do to make him love us more. He already loves us immeasurably. And so we can come to our weaknesses fresh, forgiven, bold even. Knowing that God's power is at work within us, so that we might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So be encouraged. This week, why not pray this prayer for yourself? Why not make it the basis of your prayer for those others that you're praying for? Why don't we all this week get on our knees? And pray earnestly this wonderful prayer. How else can we end but as Paul ends in verses 20 and 21? Praising God for his infinite power and infinite generosity. His power that is 
not might be, but is at work within us if we're trusting in him. So to end as a way of a prayer, let me read from verse 20. Now to him who is able to do more, to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is a work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.